0: Thank you, God. Amen. 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 My name is Jeremy. I get to preach here, and I'm also a pastor, which is kind of a nice coincidence. But I'm glad that you're here to worship with us today. And um, we're almost done at our church with this book called James. It's a letter from Jesus' Jesus' half-brother, and it's got all kinds of really, really cool stuff in it that are deep, profound nuggets, but also practical things for your daily life as well. And today is uh, very much that way. So I hope that you'll be blessed by it. We'll have next week is Youth Sunday. So that'll be an exciting and different time. Yeah, it's always fun. I enjoy that. And then after that, we'll be starting the book of Jonah, which is one of my personal favorites. It's just an amazing, amazing book. It's basically an Old Testament narrative of the prodigal son. It's, it's a neat story about this Old Testament prophet. In between there, this coming week on Friday night, I'm doing a seminar on C.S. Lewis in the 300 wing, so I'd certainly invite you to that. Uh, he's my personal favorite and a profoundly uh, amazing author. So today we continue with James chapter 5 uh, verses 13 and following Before we do so, I want to tell you a little story, and I'm actually kind of just making it up. It's nothing that's happened recently in our family, but it's certainly something that happens in families. Whether you have children or never had children, at some point you were a child, and this is probably, maybe not, but probably been your experience. Have you ever, or you don't have to raise your hand, but I'm just thinking out loud. Have you ever been promised something? And in your mind, after that promise occurs, there's this sense of expectation that arises within your soul. Well, as you've seen among little children, probably at some point in time, they've been assured of something. You know, on your birthday, you will get a scooter. Or this Saturday, we're going to go out for ice cream. Or if you get all A's on your report card, your friend can have a sleepover or whatever. But at some point, you've probably made some sort of assurance or, hey, you make it through this dentist appointment, you know, I promise you, whatever. You know, don't bite the doctor, please. (laughs) Whatever. You've made something. And so as a result, what happens, it gets stuck in that kid's mind. And what's really nice about children is that You never have to remember anything you ever told them because they will remember all of it. I mean, if you promised a scooter on this day or you promised ice cream for the dentist or you promised this or you promised that, they're going to remember. And in fact, not only will they remember, they're going to ask you about it like 10,000 times leading up to that event. And that's not an exaggeration. <laughs> I counted once. No, just kidding. My son even said to me once, you know, I, I said to him, I wish I had a dollar for every time you asked me, you know. And he said, yeah, I wish you did too. And then I'd ask you a lot more. And I'm like, okay, whatever. But they will ask and they will ask and they will ask and they come around to the conclusion their final statement is on that day, they're like, dad, you said, you said, today we're going to blah, you said, blah, fill in the blank. And I come to this text today and I think, man, it's just an amazing text and so many of us have, have weird ideas about prayer and we don't even realize it. You know, we we may think prayer is like this abracadabra, hocus pocus, almagogus, magical formula, we get God to do what he wants. Or we may think that prayer is just like this thing where you're like, I have no idea, it's probably not going to work, whatever. Or we may actually even in our heart of hearts be mad at God a little bit because there's prayers we have that were deeply important to us that he didn't answer. So-and-so didn't get well, he let them die... This happened, I lost my job, the relationship broke. What's up? And we come into this situation with all this baggage and background and culture and whatever else and we think about how we talk to God and it's really quite confusing. Then we read James chapter 5 and he makes some outlandish promises and it's amazing to say, wow, can these even be true? And I think the thing that will actually change your life... This morning from this portion of scripture. Is that if you can get this one point. If you can get just this one point. And you can actually do it. This will change your whole life. Now it's hard. It's easy to forget. And our natural tendency is different from what I'm going to say. But if you can. And maybe even just on occasion. It will still change your life. And that thing is this. Is when you pray. The way you need to pray is this. Dad. You said you said dad you said and when you pray like that you're guaranteed to get what he promised now there's a big caveat on that of course my kids can't come to me and say dad you said if I didn't say it right well no I didn't actually I never said that I never promised to send you to Harvard I'm sorry it's not going to happen Not going to happen, you know. I got something to give you, but not that. Well, Dad, you said, and this is the way we have to come to God in prayer. When you pray to God, my theme for today should hopefully be very, very simple. It's this, pray the promises. Pray the promises. Now, as I said, our natural tendency is not that. The natural tendency is to pray about your immediate need. Oh, I pray. Broke my foot. My foot hurts. Lord, please help. I got a bill. God, please help. I got a relationship. God, please help. I got a job issue. God, please help. Those are all my immediate practical needs. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with praying about them. And God wants you to pray about them. But the thing he says is, look, your heavenly father knows about it before you even ask. It's really not a surprise. Those practical things are there. Why? Because he put them there he did he actually allowed that to come into your life on purpose for some good reason you may not know what that is I don't necessarily know what that is but we know he's good and we know he's in control so none of this stuff that happens is beyond him so God puts that thing there and you're like "Ugh!" and you want to pray about that thing meanwhile God is asking you probably to pray something very different not just fix this thing Lord but fix me don't just fix this thing. Fix me. James chapter five, verses 13 through 18. The theme of this text is, pray, the promises. If you have your Bibles, you can um, follow along. If not, we will go ahead and read it, and it'll be up on the slides. This is James chapter five, verses 13 through 18. It says this: "If any one among you is suffering. Let them pray. If anyone is cheerful, let them sing praise. If anyone is sick, let them call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now, here's an example of that. Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours, no different. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and rain. The Heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit this is how you should pray. James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. So today I'd like to ask you not to pray for any snow for a while. Perhaps it won't snow for another three and a half years. Who knows? Oh man, maybe in Arizona, right? Why would that prayer not work? Why? Because in the New Testament, did God ever tell you that if you pray for snow to stop, it'll stop? Of course not. Read your Bibles. He didn't say that. What did he say to you? Several different things. And that's what we'll get into in point two. But I was jumping ahead a little bit. Let's look at points one through three and see how today's text will unfold. It says this. Uh, first of all, there are three, three, three real parts of this text, and this is how I walk it through, because I'm a scripture guy, and I love the Bible, and I want you to be one too, and so we're just going to follow the Bible. And the Bible says, first of all, in the first couple verses, when should I pray? When? Like, when? Secondly, it says, well, uh, what type of prayer works and what doesn't? You know, because I really don't want to waste my time. I'd like to get something out of this. Let's go with what works and avoid what doesn't. Right? That makes sense. And then third, you know, if I'm honest about it, I need to ask, what do I get out of it? (laughs) Because that's the reason most of us pray, right? Is we go and say, well, I want this or I want that. What do I get out of it? So prayer, when should I pray what works, what doesn't, and what do I get out of it? It goes like this in verses 13 and 14. It says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let them pray. And then it asks right after that, Is anyone cheerful? Let them sing praise. Basically what he's doing is what literary authors will call a merism. Or in other words, it's two extremes. You know, like from the rising of the sun to the going down. You see this in scripture. And what it's saying is everything in between. It covers the whole gamut of human life. If you've been to church before and I ask you, when should you pray? You probably know the answer. All the time, right? Always. Pray without ceasing. That's what we Christians say. Why? Well, look, the author is saying in your life, you're going to encounter sunshine and you're going to encounter rain. You're going to experience suffering and you're going to experience joy. This life is not a flat monolithic experience. Instead, it's like ups and downs and ups and downs and left and right and all over the place. It's never the same, not even in the same day. You could have 15 hours of good and five minutes of bad that mess up the rest, right? It's not the same. When you're suffering, pray. When you're doing well, sing praise. All throughout the day, pray without ceasing. Don't stop. Never quit. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says it like this. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5.17. How often should I pray? When should I pray? Psalm tells us from the beginning of the day, from the rising of the sun to its setting. The name of the Lord is to be praised. All the time. Pray, 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 pray. Why? Well, what that does is that manages the tension of the extremes. For example, if you're living a life of ease and affluence, initially you experience joy and celebration. You're like, woohoo, things are going well, all right. But if you forget to keep praying, then what happens? After a while, you're like, thanks God, see you later, I'm good. got this figured out, no problem, things are going well, I don't need you, what's up? I'm catching fish. I'm living the life. Who cares? You forget about God. Why? Because things are going so well. What's the opposite extreme? So when you're, when you're enjoying life, James says, sing praise. When you're suffering, temptation is, look at me now, listen. Temptation is, hey, God don't care. Fish don't matter. He's, I'm mad at him. Why would he let this come into my life? That stinker. I thought he was good. I thought he could control things. A God like that? I don't want to talk to him. (sighs) Forget it. It's not worth it. Why bother? And now you're suffering and you don't want to talk to him. Hey, that makes sense, right? You get in a fight with somebody you love and what do you want to do? You don't want to run into the room and be like, hey. You're more like, I don't want to talk to you. Here's a hint. We had a great marriage thing the other night, a fight night. It was a lot of fun. And as I was reading this text, I thought, "Oh, this is just like that." You know what happens? You get mad at your spouse, and you don't want to give him a kiss. What happens? You lose a kiss, right? That's one more kiss you could have had. Here's my advice: kiss them mad. <laughs> mm, I'll kiss you? Do you die? <laughs> Kiss them mad. Don't lose out on the kiss. You can still be mad if you want, but don't miss the kiss, right? Yeah. Here's what I'm saying in prayer. Just because you're mad at God, don't miss out on the prayer. You still get the kiss. You get to be intimate with Jesus. You get to fellowship with the Father. Don't miss out on that just because you're mad at him. Look at the Psalms. They do that all the time. David is outraged. God, why did you? But he doesn't miss out on the prayer. Why lose that joyful and pleasant and passionate experience just because you're mad? Even if you're mad, go for it. Pray. If you're suffering, pray. If you're happy, pray. If you're mad at him, pray. Who cares? He can handle it. He's a big boy. (laughs) You think you're tricking him? You think he doesn't know? (laughs) Your body language reeks of your anger. (laughs) Show it to God. Tell him you're mad. Okay. He's got it. <laughs> no surprises. He knows what's going on inside your mind and your heart. Pray. Just pray. So is anyone suffering? Pray. Is anyone cheerful? Pray. Why? Because you've got to avoid the extremes, right? You don't want to just be so happy. You don't pray. And you don't want to be so miserable. You hate him. Pray in both, both circumstances and everything in between. All the ups and downs. Pray. And that is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4 Verses 12 and following, he says, hey, I know how to be brought low. Oh, suffering. I know how to abound. Oh, joy. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. Abundance and need. And what's the secret? Well, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How do I connect with Christ? I give him the kiss. I pray. I talk. I'm his bride. I'm to be spiritually united with him. Pray without ceasing. Number one, prayer anywhere and everywhere. When, when do I pray? Yes, pray all the time. Why? Because if you don't, you're going to miss out, number one, on the kiss. And two, you're going to end up in one of these extremes where you're mad at him or you forget about him. And neither of those are any good. So pray. 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 Anywhere and everywhere pray, all the time. That's verses 13 and 14. Now, let's talk about what works and what doesn't. I just told you that you should pray anywhere and everywhere. So, in my mind, the question naturally arises, well, that's great, but uh, what works and what doesn't? I mean, I knew someone who they were sick and they had their whole church praying for them, the pastors and the elders, and not just their church. Let's say their church was, you know, all a bunch of sinners and God didn't like them. They had other churches and other churches and all friends all over the country. They had a big email chain, a Facebook page and everything else, and they prayed. Nothing. They died. God didn't help. What's going on? Should we even bother then with prayer? In order to honestly answer those questions, it is absolutely essential that you understand the following: what works and what doesn't. That's verses 15 through 18. Now, in this context, there are a number of key terms, and often the Bible uses it. So, one reason it's important to study your Bible—not just read over stuff, but catch catch the catchphrases. There are a number of key terms, and I'm going to point them out to you, and then I think I'll help you move into the space where the author wants you to move. So it goes like this. Here are some key terms. Uh, number one is anointing with oil. Number two is in the name of the Lord. Those are the verse references next to them. Number three is we'll save. And if if you're writing these down, go for it. That's just great. You can also download them online too. But the Lord will raise him up is another key term. Healed and confession, Elijah and rain. Those are all important terms. Now, let's leave that slide up there for just a second. I want to ask the audience, guys, where do you see this sort of thing happening? Anointing with oil. Where does that happen? Old Testament with who? Priest and who else? King David, exactly right. So priest and kings, anyone else? Maybe a prophet? So prophet, priest and king. Anointed. Hmm. Okay, what else? The name of the Lord, where you hear that throughout the Old Testament, you know, God is always, my name will be great throughout all the nations. My name will be praised. He will deliver his people from bondage and save them from slavery. Where do you hear that? In Egypt, in the Exodus. The Lord will raise them up. He will heal their land if they confess their sins. All of this, I hope you're hearing, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, it actually is valuable to you, is an Old Testament covenantal context. This deal or arrangement or contract that God made with his people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all their descendants, is basically a promise. You know, we call the Old Testament the Old Testament. Testament just means covenant. Covenant means contract. You have a deed. You know what a contract is. It's something that you agree to. You sign the dotted line. Sometimes it's conditional. Sometimes it's unconditional. You know, you could have an unconditional contract. Someone just says, hey, I'm going to give you this. You know, that's unusual, but it could happen. Or you could have a conditional contract. If you meet these terms, you do this, and you do this, and you do that. Then this happens. That's the Old Testament. It's just a conditional contract. There are some unconditional promises, but there's conditional ones as well. And that's what you see in the Old Testament law. So, for example, uh, let me read to you a couple of the... Uh, Covenants or contracts That God makes There's a slide of these And they'll sound like big words But basically they're just names with IC on it Okay, that's it So there's the Adamic covenant Or Adam's deal You know, don't eat the apple, right? (laughs) If you don't, you're good If you do, you're not a good idea Noah, right? Get in the boat, believe me And I'll save you And I'll never flood the earth again Promise that's an unconditional promise. He's never going to do it. Rainbow, you're good. Abraham. That's interesting because there are both unconditional and conditional promises associated with that one. I will bless you and multiply you and make your name great. Unconditional through your, your descendants. But there's also conditional ones as well. Mosaic. Moses' law, covenant. Clearly conditional. Here's the commands. Here's the curses. Obey them. I bless you. Disobey them. Your toast, conditional. Palestinian, that's the land deal. Davidic, that is, hey, David, you will have a ruler on the throne for eternity. That's unconditional. Then there's a new covenant, the New Testament. That's our deal. So, this is the way scripture works. And what I'm trying to convince you of today is that within the schemata or system of prayer, the way that you make prayer work is by praying according to your covenant. I said originally pray the promises because that's much easier to say. But it's covenantal prayer. It's contractual prayer. It is, what did God say that he will do for you? Ask him to do it. Say, God, you said. You said. So you, Lord, you said. And you know that you have a faithful God and therefore because he's faithful, he does what he said. Now if he is a liar or a shyster, Or, you know, whatever greedy used, whatever salesman, you know. Then there's no guarantee. But if he's telling you the truth and he follows through, you're good. So, for example, we got this thing about Elijah and rain. Well, what's happening here? Because surely he's this amazing prophet that breathes fire through his fist and and does all kinds of amazing things, right? We'll never be like that, no. James is saying he's just a regular old guy. Look at him. He gets depressed like the rest of us. What did he do? He prayed according to his covenant. Let me show you that covenant just so I can be absolutely clear. James is using this example. I want to use it too. Deuteronomy 11. This is their deal. Elijah is in the Old Testament, so he is under the Old Covenant, the Old Contract. Here's the contract that Elijah is under. It so says, see, I'm, this, is, this is the thing from uh, God to Moses. See, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing is if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command. And the curse is if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. But turn aside from the way that I'm commanding you today to go after other gods that you've not known. All right, pretty simple, a blessing and a curse. What are they? Second Chronicles chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. You've probably heard this one misquoted all the time. All the time. It says this. Here's the curse. Here's the curse for the Old Testament covenant people. When I shut up the heavens so that the, oh, there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or ses, send pestilence among my people. Here's the blessing for obedience. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face from their wicked ways, and I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land so James tells us then that Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours so he prayed and it didn't rain what does that mean he just called God on his covenant contract said Lord look these people are sinning they're worshiping other gods. I just killed a bunch of prophets of Baal. What are you going to do about it? Your deed says that if they're doing that, you need to stop the rain so they get the message. What does God do? Stops the rain. Okay, got it. You're right, Elijah, no problem. And then when the people repent, and they say, we're sorry, and they come back, what does he do? Sends the rain. Turns it on like a spigot. (sniffs) On, off. However you do, according to my covenant. That's the deal. And in that arid, you know, Middle Eastern climate, that's a big deal. That'll get your attention. (laughs) The rain shut off for a day and you're in trouble, let alone three years. And here's God controlling the circumstances of all things to send a very clear message to his people Obey, love me, do what I command. You know, look, Elijah's not the only guy who did this. Moses did this too in the golden calf incident. Exodus chapter 32. God was about to obliterate the people. He was mad. They had worshiped other gods. He really doesn't like that in case you haven't noticed, okay? God's not happy with things that take his glory away. So here it is in Exodus 32 and Moses says, whoa, 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 hold on, God. Don't go that way. Lord, turn from your burning anger. Relent from this disaster against your people. Remember, that's a covenant term. Every time you hear this word, remember, in the Bible, you think promise. You think God said something, and this person is calling on him to do it. Remember, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, that's Jacob, your servants, to whom you said, you swore by yourself. You said, God, you said. I will multiply your offspring and the stars of the heaven and this land, and I promised. Pray the promises. I will give you to your offspring this land so that they'll inherit forever. Moses was a man just like us. And all he did is said, God, do what you said you'd do. Just do it. You said, you promised. Dad, you said. Moses calls him on it. Who are some other great prayer warriors of the Old Testament? Shout one out. Who's a great prayer warrior in the Old Testament? Daniel. There's a good one, right? Daniel? Look what Daniel does. I prayed to the Lord my God and made a confession. Oh, there's that term that we just heard in James. How funny. Saying, oh Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and steadfast love with those who keep his commandments. Nehemiah. Look at them, same thing. You read them, they're practically the same prayer. They start with, Oh Lord, great and awesome God who keeps his covenant faithful to all the generations. This is who you are. You said this is what you're like and so now I'm calling you on it. All the way through, the deal is the same. The great prayer warriors of faith are just calling God on his covenant. Everybody is doing it and you can too. That's it. That's how you... Have effective prayer is that you call upon God. You make requests and you appeal to his character and to the agreements that he has already made. You say, dad, you said, and that prayer works. He has to, he will. He's telling the truth. He's not going back on his word. He won't lie. He never changes. It's all good. Call on him to do what he said he would do. This is the part that will change your life. If you actually pray like this, God will answer every single time. God will answer. Ooh, cool. Let's give it a try. What should I pray for? (laughs) New boat? New car? New house? Wait a minute. I missed that one. (laughs) Did God say that? If he did, let me know because I'm interested. But I don't think that's what he said in the New Testament. What do I get out of it? What did God actually say? What are the promises He gave to me? Point number three. When should I pray all the time? What works and what doesn't? Covenantal prayer. And what do I get out of it? Well, let's look. Ezekiel, one of the last Old Testament pro- prophets, begins to transition them from the Old Covenant, from the Old Testament, to the New Covenant, to the New Testament, to the New Contract. And this is what he says. He says, hey, this is what the new covenant, the new contract, the new deal is going to look like. I will give you, this is what I will give you, pay attention. You want what he will give, a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. Oh, that's what I get. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit oh there's another one within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules this is what God will do for you 1 John 1 9 tells us even more it says hey if we confess our sins he is faithful oh just like he was in the old testament to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So how does this apply to me, or what do I get out of it? Let me just give you a list, because I don't have all day, but there's all kinds of great things. But before I even do, let me say this. Make your own list. You know, read the New Testament and say, what is God actually promising me? You know, that's the difference between these prosperity theologians, these people who say, you know, pray this and you'll get whatever, and people who actually read the Bible, is that what is the bible what is the new testament what is the new covenant actually promising you what does it promise you know if you go back to the old testament they're like oh good it'll bless my crops i guess i should become a farmer and get rich as he says no that was to abraham isaac and jacob didn't you read that part you're not abraham you're not isaac you're not jacob what is your promise well here are some here are a few that I can pull out, but you, you can Google this. There are sheets and sheets and sheets of New Testament promises. But here's a few that with Christ, when he dies on the cross and is buried and is raised, that when you are with him, when you are in him, that you actually die and are buried and are raised. So that Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. And that your old life is crucified with Christ and now it's been put away and you get to walk in the newness of life. So God, help me to do that. I want to kill that old junk and walk in the new stuff and get rid of the bad and out with the old and in with the good and the new. God, help. God, you said you would, so please do. I want to be in Christ, and I want to walk with him, and I want to bury the bad stuff and, and continue in the new, and you said you would. You said right here in Ezekiel that you would give me the power to do that and put a new heart and new spirit within me so that old stone heart is gone, and a new beating, fleshly, strong heart is in me. God, you said... Where is it, Lord? Because I struggle. Sometimes my heart's not right. Please provide the thing you said you'd give. God will. You said I'd be anointed with the Holy Spirit. Lord, I want to call on that power in the name of the Lord. Right? Here's the name of the Lord stuff. In the name of the Lord in the Old Testament, it means to be in consistency, in in keeping with his character. Not inconsistent, but inconsistency. (laughs) In consistency with his character. In the name of the Lord. Lord, I want to be more like Christ. I really do. It doesn't look like it sometimes. But I do. Please help. Lord, you said you would. In the name of the Lord, I pray. You promised that you would save me from sin. You promised that you would forgive my sins. Lord, I'd like to ask for your forgiveness. And listen, church, we we say this all the time. And it's almost ridiculous. When we say... We want to ask for forgiveness of sins Sometimes we think that's like Okay, everything I did bad I'm good Now, clean, right? Off I go Forgiveness of sins, I've got it Or we might think of forgiveness of sins in another way We might say Ah, Lord Boy, I messed up today That guy cut me off And I was like and Man, that made me mad I'm sorry, that was a bad one Will you please forgive me? Okay, good, I'm clear Done. So we think of it either as big lump sum or these little incidents. But I'm telling you, forgiveness is a gift. that God is offering you. You say, I want that. God, give me forgiveness. Set it in my lap. This huge treasure of inexhaustible storehouses of your goodness and grace. So I can just pull on it and dwell on it and enjoy it anytime I want. And not only is it enough for me, but it's enough for you too. And that's why in James, he says, hey, look, confess your sins to one another and you'll be forgiven. Why? Because if you're asking for the covenant promises and they're sitting there on your laps, you're like sitting in the front row and you're like, come and get it, man. I got enough to share. want some forgiveness? Sure. Here you go. Want some forgiveness? Here you go. No problem. I got plenty. All I have to do is ask for more because he said he'd give it. I can ask for as much as I want. There's no limits on this stuff. Lord, more, please. He needs some. (laughs) So does she, definitely. Oh, that person needs some. (laughs) Got to help him out a little bit, Lord. Please, more. God, you said you would give me forgiveness. Now, I've been forgiven and my sins have been cleaned. And I messed up today and you forgave me for that. But I need a little bit more because she needs some and he needs some and they need some. And my kids definitely need some. And the way I responded, need some too. So, Lord, please help. Give me forgiveness. It's not a one time deal. It's over and over and over and over again. Consistent application of the same thing in your life. Ask for that. Ask for strength for today. You have hope for tomorrow. You have a guaranteed future. Today doesn't determine tomorrow. Tomorrow determines today. So ask for that hope. Ask for that encouragement. Ask for that strength. God will give it. He said He would, He will. Those are the things we can ask for, and I even see some of you smiling now, and I'm so glad because that means you have. You've asked for these things, and you've got them, and you know what I'm saying is right and true and real because you've experienced it. If you haven't, do. Ask. Ask for these, and he'll give. Now, some of you aren't smiling because maybe you've asked for other stuff, and that's tough, and I'm sorry, and I know we don't always get what we want. I know it. I've asked too, (laughs) often, And what happens is we need to realize is what's not included in this list. Think of all the things I didn't say. I can say more than I can't say, but there's a lot of things we can come up with. I used a silly illustration of a boat or whatever earlier, but there's much more important things to you than that that you're not getting. God does not always give us whatever we request, but God always gives us what is best. He doesn't give us what we request, but he does give us what is best. Sometimes, in fact, no, the answer may be a healing response on God's part. You think fix the situation is the yes, and that's the good. But God says no, that's actually the bad. So I'm not going for the situation. I'm going for you and your heart. Because that was a New Testament covenant promise that I'll give you a new heart. Not a new bike, not a new car, not a new house, not new clothes, not a new relationship, not a new job, a new heart. Now I don't really want to go there because I, like you, don't want to lose my job either. But at the end of the day, somehow in faith, I have to believe that God is good and whatever he has is best. So even if it means, like Paul says, I'm not abounding... I'm poor, I'm whatever. I got to believe that even in poverty, God will give me joy and he'll cleanse my heart in a way that's never accomplished by any other means. I have to believe by faith that God is good and his ways are perfect. He knows what I do not and I can trust him. That's called maturing in the Christian faith and I think that's what James is calling us to do throughout this whole book. Come to God and believe that He is who He says He would be. Call on Him to do what He said He would do. And then respond in faithful submission and humble repentance and obedience. Be patient, therefore, church, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. See the farmer, see the prophets, see Job. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. And you have seen the purposes of the Lord. Let us then pray as Nehemiah does. O oh Lord, God of heaven, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and steadfast love, those who love him and keep his commandments. Let not this hardship that we face seem little to you that has come upon us. Lord, we're suffering. Let us pray. We're cheerful. Let us sing praise. And we will believe, as Paul has clearly told us, that he who promised and he who calls us is faithful. And he will surely do it. Father we thank you For unanswered And answered prayer Showing us what to pray for And what not to pray for And we fully admit God there is none like you And we got all kinds of stuff In our life that cause us to You know distract our gaze And take our eyes off you Whether it's suffering or even joy We pray that no matter what it is God that we would not care That our whole desire, our whole heart, our whole being would long for you more than anything else. And God, we know that's the prayer you offer us. In Ezekiel, you say you'll do that. In Romans, you say you'll do that. Lord Jesus, as the first fruits of the resurrection, as we die to ourselves, we pray that you would raise us to the newness of life. God, help us to walk in you. Ever faithful, watching, never wandering, being anointed by your spirit. Believing, trusting, responding, submitting, repenting, and calling on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.